Good morning, Paramount family. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, we, we will be asking, uh, well, answering one major question this morning. Um, one question, uh, I tried a, a thousand ways to figure out a, an acronym to use or three major points that had all started with the same letter, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. I, I just really, I really have one question. Um, and in fact, this question, as a staff um, over the past previous year, have explored and looked for ways to, to be able to give a good, strong, solid answer to. Um, and, and we had some great arguments, uh, discussions, in how to, how to answer that. And, and, and um, I'm excited to get to share that with you, of how to answer that one major question today. In fact, later in our sermon, um, we'll get to share with you what what that looks like, what a tool, an assessment, um, a discipleship model, if you will, uh, a way to be able to, to answer this one question. And so this morning, that question that we will answer is what is next? That could be a, uh, an exhilarating or a terrifying question, depending on life circumstance or what's going on. Uh, what is next? I think most of us immediately uh, uh, think, uh, what is next? Well, well, hopefully lunch, right? We get out early and, and we get to jump right in, and that, that'll be nice. We beat people to the restaurants or whatever the case may be. Um, but bigger than that, um, what is next? You, you think of, like, personally, what is next? Maybe your circumstances. For students, right, uh, uh, Monday or Tuesday, you, you start back to school. That's, well, that's next. That, that's, that's just what's coming next, Maybe um, uh, you're a little further along in life and, and you're thinking of uh, the next stage or next um, if for you would be, would be retirement. And so you're considering what, what, what does that mean? Have I reserved enough or what does that look like for the rest of my family? Maybe uh, what is next um, has, has a little bit of difficulty tied to that because maybe it's, it's a, a medical exam and you're, you're awaiting and what is next is, is those results or, or the procedure to come thereafter. What is next? How, how many of you guys, when, when, I, when I propose that question, where you're at in your life, um, I, we need a little bit of honesty here, okay? We're going to raise our hands. You're, you're going to say this or that, okay? So how many of you guys, when I say what is next, how many of you guys, that, your two options are going to be uh, that's exciting, that answer, whatever that might be, or that, that comes with a little bit of a um, fear or or terror even, to, to try and answer what is next. Okay, so those are your two options. Consider where you're at personally, and then answer the question for you. How many of you guys, when I say the question, what is next, it makes you think fear, terror? How many of you guys are there? Yeah? Thank you for being brave. That's good. That's good. Honesty. I like it. Okay. All right. And the rest of you, I'm going to presume, how many of you guys, when I say what is next, there's it comes with a little bit of excitement, anticipation even. Yeah? Okay. All right. And the rest of you guys that didn't vote, you're a bunch of fence riders. So you didn't pick a side. Come on. Pick a side. All right. What is next? That's one approach to the question, what is next for me personally, where, where, I'm, I, where I am at. The other way to consider the question, what is next, is, is also collectively. Right? I would hope your mind would wander onto the church, us right here at Paramount Baptist Church, what is next for us? 
well, uh, hopefully uh, an interim soon, and, and, then, and then thereafter as our pa- uh, uh, pastor search team prepares, prays, considers, then our next lead pastor. That's, that's what's next. When you think of the calendar of what's next for us at Paramount collectively, you, you think of Easter, that's the next big kind of event. Uh, uh, you think of uh, our world mission offerings, we're, we're just over halfway there and we're raising money uh, to send people around the world to be a blessing to, to current missionaries that are in the field right now. That, well, that's, that's next. But beyond kind of uh, personal circumstances or collective programming, our staff spent a lot of time, energy, and effort to figure out primarily what is next spiritually. What is next for us to be able to answer the question, what is next personally, spiritually? What, well, what is next? And then also, what is next spiritually for us, collectively, as the church? Right here, this local body, Paramount Baptist Church. What is next for us spiritually? Before I share that with you, um, I, w- I want to walk through a passage out of Acts. So turn uh, in your Bibles, Acts chapter 1. What is next for us? In fact, we're going to find some men asking that very question, what is next? Maybe not literally, but, but definitely figuratively, what is next? They're anticipating what is to come. When you think of the book of Acts, um, uh, it in itself is the Acts of the apostle, uh, it, Apostles. It, it, it's, it's what comes next. Right? You have the Gospels, the life and story of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and then victory over that death of resurrection. That's the story of the Gospel. Those are those four Gospels. And, and, and each kind of book, as you look in your scriptures, have kind of categories or genres. Right? You have historical, you have uh, letters, you have uh, 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 prophetic. And then Acts falls into the genre of historical. This actually happened. These are lives in which we can point to, we can look at in history to say this is what it is. Uh, uh, archaeologists have found the cities, have found uh, uh, people's names referenced in all of history. So it's, so it's not just found in our text, it's found in history these moments have occurred. These places, these cities, these people. And so when you look at Acts, this is, this is what comes next after the life and story of Jesus. This is the church age, the beginnings of it. This answers what comes next after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so as we begin in Acts chapter 1, we'll look at these apostles searching and answering that question, what is next? Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Who, who's the I in this first part of Acts? Luke, right? If you don't know that, then, then the author of Acts is Luke, and he's writing to a man named Theophilus, and he said, I wrote the first narrative. What's the first narrative? That's right, the Gospel of Luke. So leave your finger here in Acts. 
Look over in Luke chapter 1. Let's confirm that. These are, these are kind of just what we think we know, what we understand. Let's cross-reference that. In fact, that's a good uh, a Bible study tool, a way that you can do. Would you read something in Scripture? If it's found elsewhere, then go look that up. Go look and explore what that says elsewhere. And so Luke here in Acts 1 is referencing some other narrative to this man, Theophilus, about the story and life of Jesus. So Luke 1, starting in verse 1, many have undertaken undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed down to them to us. It also seemed good to me, so this is Luke writing, it seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you another orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. There's your connection. So that you may know, know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So Theophilus has been taught, shared, told about Jesus. And then he writes the life and story of Jesus down. And now this is book number two for Dr. Luke. Writing to the same man, Theophilus, to answer, to explain, or to share what comes next. After the life of Jesus this is what's next. So he goes on. Flip back to Acts chapter 1 now. So there's our reference. There's our confirmation. Luke is writing this narrative to Theophilus. That's the other narrative that he mentioned, the first one. And until, starting in verse 2. Until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he, the he here is Jesus. He, after he had suffered... He also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That last little phrase, kingdom of God, is going to become important, so hang on to that. So here Jesus, or, or Luke, is writing the story to Theophilus, explaining um, uh, here's what, what comes next after the life of Jesus. Let's keep reading. We'll pick up uh, verse 4 now. So, during those 40 days that he's walking, while he was with them, uh, the them being the apostles, so here's Jesus with his apostles, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Oh, what a great promise. What, what a strong statement. And then verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? What did, what did the apostles ask? What were they asking about? What's their concern in this moment? The kingdom of what? Israel. The kingdom of Israel. They quickly begin to, within these 40 days, they're talking with Jesus. He's showing up at different times. We know at the back end of Luke, they actually share a meal together on the edge of a beach. Um, we, we know the end of Matthew 28 of these Gospels, that he gives this charge that, uh, of the Great Commission. You will be my witnesses and go make disciples. He, 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 we know kind of the tail end of it. Here in Acts 1, this is the, the end. Jesus is actually about to ascend. We know he's about to, we're about to see what comes next. And, and in the midst of these 40 days and all that Jesus has been teaching, 
these, these Israelites, these, these few 11, begin to ask, is now the time for the kingdom of Israel? Because Rome right now is, is in, in charge of the rest of the world. There's great oppression on their people. And similar to uh, uh, like the story of Egypt uh, uh, or Exodus, as Moses led his people out from slavery, these 11, these Israelites have been anticipating the Messiah, the Messiah to come and bring about historical political freedom. This is, is now the time that you're going to rescue us? You're going to take us out of this slavery? Is the nation of Israel finally going to rise now? Is this that time? For the whole 40 days, what has been Jesus' focus? What kingdom has he been talking about? Verse 4, the kingdom of God. And these men are focused in on the small kingdom of Israel. How often can we relate to that moment where God is trying to give us a bigger picture, something bigger to see beyond our own little borders, beyond our own little walls of our life and our circumstances, and yet we keep reverting back to, well, what about me, God? Well, how does this affect me? What's going to happen next for me? And we think of, of our little world, and God is trying to picture or show us, and we, we're trying to fit God into, into our circumstances of, of how we think he should answer, uh, of the ways that, that, well, he should do this for me. And so often we just think, well, small. And our God is so much bigger than our walls, so much bigger than, than the nation of me. And here these Israelites, these good, faithful, believing men, they miss it. They think small when God is trying to show them bigger. And so, so we keep reading, verse 7 and 8. What's his response to their smallness, to their, to their question? He doesn't negate it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't even chastise them to think that way. He, he just corrects. In verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So he, he answers them without answering their question, right? He's like, oh, guess what? You don't get to know. That's not always a, an easy answer to hear. We're going, something going on in our life, a circumstance, a, a fear of what is to next and, or what is to come, and well, God doesn't answer, or at least the way that we want him to answer. And then verse 8 happens. Oh, verse 8 is a beautiful, powerful, wonderful verse. If you don't have verse 8 memorized, then, then memorize it today. Take some time this week, this month of January, and memorize Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Because check out what it says. So he tells them, it's not for you to know, but then verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He corrects their trajectory. You're thinking small. You're thinking nation of Israel or the kingdom of Israel. And I'm just talking about the kingdom of God. And you will be my witnesses. And he gives them this promise, this hope, this strength to saying you will have power. The Greek word is dudamus, explosion. This is a... That this power will come upon you. Oh, to, that, that for us, that, 
That's something for us to understand, to, to, to even grab a hold of this power, this miraculous movement, this uh, explosion, uh, uh, this power, he describes it, the power will come upon you. But we can't ignore what the power is to do. The power has a purpose. What's the purpose of that power? Why, why is the power being dis, uh, displayed or, or demonstrated or, or put upon you? What does it say? To be what? To be my witnesses, it says. That's the result of that power. Of the Spirit coming upon you, you have power to be my witnesses. I love the phrasing. It says, you will be my witnesses. That phrase is actually kind of curious. Do you think that's a command or just a fact? That's interesting because it's, it's, it's a command. Oh, you will be, right? Is Jesus saying the Spirit comes on you? You will have power and you will be, right? That sounds like a command. You will be my witnesses. Or, or maybe it's just a fact. Because when the Spirit just comes on you, there is a natural thing that happens next. Is you will be a great witness. Grammatically, it actually plays either way. It could, it could be a command it could be just a fact, probably both. It's probably, it's just a fact that we are a great witness. Oh, and Jesus has told us to be a great witness, a command, a fact. It can go either way. And as the apostles are asking about their nation, about their personal things, Jesus points them to the ends of the earth. Think bigger, my friends. God has great plans, his power has a purpose, and it is to advance his kingdom. And when, we, when you're studying God's word, and there's a truth that is applied to these men, to the scriptures, when you ask, what does it mean to them? And you know that truth, you understand what it means to them, then we're able to apply that truth to us, to our life. You don't ask what does it mean to me before you describe or explain or understand what it means to them. And so to them, there's this promise, there's this anticipation of power, of the Spirit coming and an end result, a great witness. That's the truth. We can apply that same truth to us now. Now that we know what it means to them, you apply that truth truth to us, meaning that when you, when the Spirit comes upon you, you have that same exact power that's described, that dynamite, that power, that explosion, that miraculous moment, when that happens, when the Spirit comes on you, there is a result, there is a purpose of that Spirit in your life, and it is to be a witness to the ends of the world. That's a truth for you and I. If you in, are in this room and you are a believer, that you have accepted and you have trusted in what the work that Jesus has done. He's died on the cross, and you trust in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And you have asked forgiveness of your sins based upon his work. Then the Spirit has come upon you. There's a truth. The Spirit lives and resides within you with great purpose to be a witness, to go to the ends of the world. There's purpose in that power. And so you and I are, are true. For them, it's not yet true. It will be. They are waiting. And when you think of this truth, 
That same spirit who lives inside of us empowers us as believers to have that same power, enables us to be a witness. One commentary says this, the ordinary people of God equipped with the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, dedicated to the son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. That's true for you and I. That same exact truth is same. It's true for you and I. Same spirit. But for them, it's future tense. They're waiting for this Holy Spirit to come. It hasn't happened yet. And what, during this time, has Jesus told them to do? That's right, wait. Look at verse four. He tells them, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Father's promise. I'm not a good waiter. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm not waiting for, for what is to come or what is next. I, w- I want what's next now. I want, uh, let, let's figure this thing out. Let's get some stuff done, and let's, let's, just, let's just crank it out. I, I'm so impatient with what is to come. And here are these men. They've just witnessed the power, right? Jesus' resurrection for the last 40 days, they've been with him. They've seen all the miracles he's done. They've seen him die an agony death on the cross to take away their sins. And then here they are three days later with him. And then for the last 40 days, been experiencing and talking with him. Thomas put his fingers into the holes of where he was pierced. They've seen his side. And here he is. They've eaten meals with him. And here, he tells them, his plan, wait. That's really hard to get excited about. That's really hard to to be even okay with, to wait. Oh, but, but look what happens next. Starting in verse 9. He tells them in verse 8, you will have power. You're going to memorize that this month, Acts 1.8. And then he says this. After he has said this, he was taken up as, he was, as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Oh. Verse 9 is one of those verses you need to put yourself there. You need to imagine that little hilltop. Jerusalem's just a little bit of ways away. You're on this hilltop, and you're, I want to see that moment. I want to see their eyeballs gawking up into the sky. I want to see him as he's talking. Oh, but the spirit, at what point during that sentence, the spirit of power, and you will be my witnesses, is at that point that he started to rise, right? And he's going up, and they're listening to him as he's shouting. He gets louder as he gets a little bit further and further away as he's proclaiming what is to come, what will happen when the spirit comes, and, and then he's gone into the clouds, the heavens, Oh, I want to see that moment. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask Peter when I get there to describe that thing to me. All right, so verse 9, they're watching. He goes up in the cloud, verse 10. While he was going, they were gazing into the heavens, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. I, I want to see that moment too. There's, oh, where did you come from, right? I mean, that moment had to be a surprise. Okay. Uh, uh, so they, they just appeared, uh, and in verse 11, they said, Men of Galilee, uh, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that, he, uh, that you have seen him going into heaven. Oh, our great hope. 
Jesus will return. That's our hope. He will return. It started then, immediately. As he ascended, the next thing he told them, he will come back. Our hope. And then verse 12, let's keep reading. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And then verse 14. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Jesus told them to wait. So what did they do? The only thing that they knew to do, pray. That's what they knew to do. In fact, they've asked Jesus specifically, how do I pray? And he explained them how to pray. And so in this moment, when they're explaining, they have to be considering, well, what is next, right? It's not the kingdom of, of Israel, so, so what is next? We're, we're waiting for the Spirit's power to, to, to happen, to move. And so they gather together, and united in prayer, they wait. They did the only thing that they actually knew to do. They prayed. They prayed. And over the course of 10 some odd days, well, chapter 2 happens. Look what happens in chapter 2 of Acts. As they were waiting, united in prayer, meeting together, chapter 2 happens. And when the day of Pentecost, roughly 10 days later, had arrived, they were all together in one place. Assuming, what were they doing in that one place? Reason why they gathered together. They were, they were waiting for what was next. And so they did the very thing that they knew to do. They were praying together. And then verse 2, suddenly, like a sound of a violent rushing wind came in from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like fire uh, or flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Man, what an amazing moment. They gathered together. They were doing the very thing that they, the only thing that they knew to do while they waited, and the Spirit came rushing in. What a description. This, this is what we want out of a movement of God, right? The demonstration of his power, of his Spirit coming upon us. We want earthquakes. We want flaming tongues. We want loud rushing wind. Yes, that's a movement of God, or at least that's where my mind easily goes, that, that I want this, this big, huge flash. Flashy, literally, flashy moment. I want to see fire. I want the chills. I want it all. Like, it would be an amazing moment of God. But you guys, we, we can't manufacture that. As much as we all want big moments. And this moment was huge. The Spirit, Holy Spirit arrives on the scene in a big, huge ways. We, we know what happens next, actually. People around all in Jerusalem hears this rushing wind. A crowd gathers. Peter stands. He preaches. He shares. He is literally fulfilling Acts 1.8. He becomes a witness to all of the world. The world has gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and Peter begins. He's the first demonstration of the Spirit's power as he is a witness to the world. And he shares the gospel. We know the end of 
Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people place their trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit movement doesn't stop with these guys. It continues immediately. There is a result by command or by fact. He is a witness and people responded. And the Spirit spread. Oh, what, what a huge, giant moment in all of history. This is, a, this is a historical book. This really happened. And as much as you and I want this big, huge, giant moment, we want the goosebumps, we want the earthquake, we want these pillars to be shaken, we we, we want God to really, truly show up. But we can't manufacture that. Garrett can play all the right songs. Someone can up here and shout better than I can shout. It could be more than adequate. But we can't, we, can't, we can't manufacture that. We can't create big, huge moments. But what we can do is be... Be consistent with the little tiny ones. That is in our control. When we do small little steps in the right direction, we can cover miles. When you and I put ourselves in and make small intentional steps forward, when we create small intentional movement, momentum, growth, these small little moments, we are in control of in a lot of ways. And we can be consistent or inconsistent just by simply placing ourselves in the right spot. Earlier when I started, I I shared with you that that as a staff, we've worked on for just over a year or just right out of a year, um, how to answer that question of what is next for us spiritually. Um, In short, I I don't believe uh, if God wants to move in earth-shaking, fire-showing-up moments, then yeah, I'm all for that. But until he does, I can't manufacture when the spirit will flood and overwhelm. But I can be consistent in my walk. I can be consistently putting myself in place, being ready for God to move. And so, kind of as a plan, as, as an assessment tool, as, as a way to explain or, or, or more accurately answer the question of what is next spiritually, I want to answer it in two major ways because that's really how we apply that question. We apply it personally, what's next for me personally, and then I want to apply it collectively for, for us as Paramount Baptist Church. What is next for us spiritually? And so, and so if truly small little itty-bitty moments can get us down the road and we can trust and place ourselves in situations, then, then I think this is a tool that will help us answer the question, what is next spiritually? Because it all starts with it, and, and the center of us as believers is our growth, our growth to become more like Christ, to follow Christ better, uh, to exemplify him better, to be better witnesses. And it starts with growing. This is the root of what it means to be a disciple, is that you are a growing believer. It's not just you believe one time and, then, and you stay this infantile, spiritual, believing child but you spiritually grow into adulthood and even into parenthood and you're sharing your faith with and you're starting other families because of it. And so the root of of discipleship, of a believer, the center is growth. It starts with growing. And then you ask, well, what's next? And to answer that question, you have to have a starting point. And it starts with salvation. It starts with the first thing you have to ask, well, in order for me to grow, then, 
then am I saved? Do I truly believe in the work of Jesus, that he died and rose again to take away my sins? That's where you start. And before you grow, you, you have to start there. And I think, I think you ask that personally. What's next? Well, am I saved? That's your first step. And then the next step, as a believer, you ask, is baptism. The first step of obedience. And so if you are in this room and you are saved, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've surrendered your life over to him. Your next steps is baptism. If you've never been baptized, then that's a step. You can ask yourself, well, what's next for me? Well, I've never been baptized. Okay, I need to take that next step. And so baptism is an outward expression of what already has happened inwardly. This is your first step of being a witness, of putting yourself in position for the Spirit's power to overwhelm not just you, but your story in the lives of other people. And so you stand there. It's not just about the water. It's not, there's nothing special about that water. In fact, oftentimes it's too cold. But, but, but when you get wet, that displays, that, that is a witness. You are proclaiming the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. And you're telling everyone else that you're joining in this body of believers to be that witness, to be on display for others to know Christ as well. And so your next, what is next, is baptism. And if you are saved and you are baptized, then, then you have to continually ask, well, what, what is next? Because we're, we're supposed to continually be growing. And so there has to be a next for everyone. There, there's never a point in which we will arrive on this side of heaven. When we get there, we will, we will be. We'll be glorified and, and in perfection. Oh, but on this side, we must be continually growing. And so after salvation and after baptism, there is a next what is next is you continue to work on your spiritual formation. That means little things like, like a quiet time. You're reading your Bible on a regular, consistent basis. And so you ask, well, what does consistent mean? Well, I don't know. Where, where are you at right now? Are you consistent? Then, then can you become more consistent? Because there's a next after you're consistent. Then, then what is next? And, and maybe it's not Bible reading. Maybe you're there and you're reading your Bible regularly, consistent. Then what is next? Well, what are there other things that I can do spiritually that, that help form and shape me and, and change my character into the likeness of Christ? Well, that, that, that comes to uh, uh, maybe evangelism or witnessing, fasting, uh, meditating. I already mentioned memorizing, memorizing Acts 1-8. If you haven't done that, then start there. Well, I don't know. I haven't memorized something since I was way back in RAs and GAs. That, Okay, then, then, then get back to it. That's what's next. You start memorizing Scripture regularly, consistently. Well, what is consistently? Well, what, where are you at now? And what is more? <laughs> and, and just begin to do a little bit more. And so, so where you're at personally, this is what's next. Are you saved? Are you baptized? And are you continually becoming consistent in your spiritual formation? My men's group, um, we have a men's accountability group. We meet on Monday nights, and, and um, at last semester, I asked my group, uh, have any, any of you guys ever fasted before? And nobody around the table had ever fasted before. Um, in that moment, I didn't, I didn't need a lesson. I didn't need to teach them or spend a, a semester on the idea of fasting. No, we, we just needed to do it. We needed to try it. We, we needed a laboratory in which we experiment with this thing following Jesus. And so we just picked a day, 
and we fasted. We experienced what it looks like to do that thing. I've never memorized a, a, a passage before. Okay, well then, then start. I've never fasted before. Okay, well then, then start. Start somewhere. One day out of this year is better than zero days out of this year. Just take a small little step becoming consistent. That's what it means personally. For us, these are ways in which you will grow if you do these things. You will grow spiritually if you do these things. And the next is is the answer collectively. How do we grow collectively? Well, it's important for us to understand in order to be a collective, we we have to gather as a collective. And this is kind of a a preaching to the choir moment because you're already here, right? You're already gathering. But again, I want to use that word consistent. Are you consistently gathering? Are you making Sunday mornings the most important morning of your week? when we gather together, making that a priority, adjusting schedules around your Sunday morning. Because when we gather together, man, we encourage each other, we experience something different when we're together. And so gathering on Sunday mornings, when the majority of our church gathers, making that a priority, it will help you grow. And collectively, we grow together. And the next in order to grow is, well, we have to give. Give of our time, energy, and effort. This isn't just financially. That's part of it. That's part of the commitment of the t- togetherness. That's part of the commitment of our church. But, it, but it's beyond that. Of what is next is you are gathering, you're showing up on Sundays. Well, what's next? You have gifts and talents to use for the benefit of the rest of the church. And so you have Sunday school teachers that have taken that step. They're helping teach, provide. You have greeters. You have any other plethora of ways. We need people to push buttons. They're up for JT. There's opportunities. You have gifts and skills and talents that God has gifted you, and not just for you, but for the benefit of everyone else. To give your time, energy, and resources is, is to show up and be committed to a, a smaller group, maybe of a men's or women's group of accountability or Bible study or, or, or one-on-one mentoring. These are all things that that help you give of yourself because it's not just about the kingdom of Israel. It's not just about our little kingdom, our little circle, but it's about the collective. It's about the church, the kingdom of God right here at Paramount Baptist Church. And so we gather, we give, and finally we go. We go. You grow when you share with your neighbors across the street. You will grow if you go around the world. When you consider all these things, just, just collectively as well as individually, personally, um, you, you can look at even your own walk and you can kind of measure and see these moments of, of real genuine growth. The first time you went on a mission trip, God showed up in mighty ways with those people and in you, you experienced real true growth when you were part of going. You experienced real growth that the first time you became committed and consistent in reading your Bible. All that becomes a game changer when you're reading your Bible regularly and consistently, we're seeing this explosion of spiritual growth when you're consistent, when you're consistent personally, when you're consistent collectively. And when you consider Acts 1, and these guys asked, well, what's next? Jesus says, wait. And so they do the thing that they already knew to do. They prayed together. And when we ask, well, what's next? 
The answer to that is simply do the things you already know to do. None of this is new. We all know what it means to be saved. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to truly surrender all of your life. You know what it means to be baptized, to, to, to represent to all your people to join this body of believers. We know we should be consistent gathering. We know we should be consistently serving and giving. We know we should be consistently going. These are things we already know to do. And so how these apostles ask or answer the question of what is the next, they simply did what they already knew to do. They gathered and they prayed. And so Paramount, you, when you ask the question, I'm asking you to answer the question, what is next? And this might be a good tool for you to use to answer that. To ask personally, am I saved? Do I need to take a step? in obedience towards baptism? Am I consistent with my spiritual formations? To answer the question, what is next? Part of your growth is the collective, the church. And so are you consistent in your gathering? Are you consistently giving of your time, energy, and effort? And are you consistently going? Because this results in growth. I don't know where you're at this morning. I know those guys didn't know where they were at. When they sat there, and they saw Jesus ascend, for 10 roughly days, they sat in a room doing the thing that they knew to do, waiting. And then we know Acts 2 happens. We know the Spirit comes. And so church, do what you know to do. You already know to do it. Be consistent and wait. And I believe with all of my heart, the Spirit will come in mighty power with a great result. We all will be great witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. Help us, God, to, to be moved by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that, that this morning we would consider what is next. We would consider what is next for us spiritually, Lord, that we would pinpoint, we won't be afraid to, to pick a spot and start to become more consistent. Father, we have no control of when your spirit wants to overwhelm, when your spirit wants to invade, when, when conviction will come about. But Lord, we are. We are in charge of when and where and how we can take small little steps and be consistent and place our, ourselves in positions for your spirit to move. And so this morning... I pray, God, that every single one of us will ask, what is next when it comes to our spiritual growth? God, that we would be committed to be consistent in our growth. Help us, God. By command or by fact, we trust we will be great witnesses. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Acts 1.8 says, but you will be you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I don't know how God wants you to respond this morning. I just know if the Spirit is moving by command or by fact, we should. We should listen and we should join him where he's at work. And so if you'll stand and you respond, pastors will be up front, if God is sharing with you what is next in your life, share with someone next to you or come forward and share that with a pastor. We'd love to celebrate and walk you through what is next for your spiritual growth.